Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. everybody and welcome to Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name is Andrew and I will be joined by my good friend Matt this week who sadly has recently quickened. So I guess Matt that probably means it's your last appearance on RTR as you're probably going to head to the uh, Trivian Clinic and uh, won't be returning. Is that uh, sadly true or you think that uh, you know maybe we can get a vaccine? Hopefully Julian can come through for me or else you're going to be uh, on your own for the rest of the run of, of RTR. Julian get get cracking here buddy. You got like a, you got like an hour to, to <laughs> cure this thing. Which, you know, he, he was going to try to do it in a week. Let's see if he can do it in an hour. Yes, definitely. So this is The Quickening from Deep Space Nine Season 4, Episode 24. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, watching this one in 2020, Matt, I feel like this is very timely. You know, that Star Trek, they have such a hard time writing shows that are relevant uh, moving forward into the future. And uh, this would probably be an example of uh, that exact situation, wouldn't it? Very timely indeed. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's almost like the hat is rigged, you know? Sometimes we've had these weird things happen where one episode is directly related to another one and, and we get these these ones where it's very timely to talk about. And I mean, luckily for me, it was very memorable because this is the one that I drew two weeks ago. And uh, why don't you give me a little bit of a recall on how I did for The Quickening? Uh, give me a ranking out of five blight marks. Well, you uh, you knew this which this which one this was. Um, you knew it was an episode that was timely and related to a pandemic. You knew it involved Bashir. You m- mentioned that they traveled to a, like this. You said desert planet, but I'll say desolate planet in the Gamma Quadrant. Everyone in the on this planet was uh, infected with this disease called the Quickening. You mentioned that it, there was no cure and that it, it came on very quickly, and that people went to. Uh, be like you know uh, euthanized or killed when 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 it hits you mentioned that Bashir stayed behind in order to try to cure it and in the end uh, he was able to cure it like through a a woman's uh, child Uh, like the child was born without the disease so um, I I think you nailed pretty much everything if you had mentioned the the Quark's little ad scam at the (laughs) beginning I probably would have given you six out of five but um uh, be, with all the stuff that you mentioned, it was all correct. So I'm going to give you uh, five blight marks out of five, uh, even though maybe that's not something you want to see, five blight marks on your body, but uh, y- you nailed it. So five out of five. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm starting to worry that some of the regular RTR listeners are going to start thinking that maybe I only watch Deep Space Nine and that they might be thinking, is this Andrew <laughs> guy actually like the other Star Trek series? Or it seems like he only gets good scores when he pulls Deep Space Nine episodes. Uh, but I, I do, in fact, love all the series, and uh, I do watch them all. I just don't happen to be that good at remembering them, apparently. But yeah, this one stuck out, and I think that it's just because it's really engaging. Um, if you haven't seen it, this one originally aired back on May the 20th, 1996. 
not a lot of guest stars, but the stars that we do get are bangers. We get Ellen Wheeler as Ikoria, Dylan Haggerty as Epram, and Michael Sarazin as uh, Trevian. This one was written by Naren Shakar and directed by our favorite uh, changeling on the station, Rene Ogeberois. Uh, if you didn't watch this one, I really think you should. Um, I wouldn't normally say to pause the podcast, but this is actually one of those times where I would say pause it, go and check this one out. It's really good. It's really timely. And then come back and listen to this synopsis and see how good of a job I did in synopsising it. So this one is... An overeager, confident Dr. Julian Bashir is anxious to explore the Delta Quadrant and make some major medical findings, as well as to explore the various illnesses and anatomies that exist in the cosmos. His wish is immediately granted when the runabout receives a distress signal from a planet near Dominion Space. Upon arriving, they discover a ruined civilization of people who are quite literally plagued with a blight from birth. It will eventually quicken and kill their patients. Bashir is certain that he is, in like so many past Star Trek episodes, able to be come up with a cure or a vaccine quickly and will probably be heading back to the station within a week, a hero. Residents of the planet aren't so sure. They too were once a medically savvy planet who were over-eager when resisting the Jem'Hadar and their Dominion overlords, hence being infected to make an example of. Now, accepting their fate... They rely on a quote-unquote healer named Trevian, who offers comfort via suicide during the quickening. Bashir uses his ambition and positive mindset to enlist some patients to try his vaccine, which includes a pregnant woman named Ikoria. Bashir's confidence takes a major hit when not only does the vaccine not work, it also worsens and quickens the quickening, killing all of the participants save Ikoria. He decides to stay behind and continue to work while Ikoria readies herself for death hoping that Bashir will be able to induce labor before she dies. Bashir delivers the baby just before Ikoria succumbs to the quickening and to a bitter relief finds that the baby doesn't have the blight. He passes his work on to Trevian while he goes back to Deep Space Nine to continue his research on finding a true cure. All right, Matt, uh, for whatever reason, I I just have a fond memory of this particular episode. I, I think that it just scratches me where I itch. It is the kind of Star Trek episodes that I kind of like, and I think that they've made enough changes here that it, it makes it unique. Uh, do you have any kind of thoughts about uh, this particular one? Does it does it stand out at all? Does it uh, bring back memories of childhood of watching it? Uh, one thing I do remember, I did have this on a VHS tape, and so I did watch this episode maybe more than other Deep Space Nine episodes. The the teaser, which I will get to a little later on, I have a funny story about that. Um, but overall, like this is an episode that I, I, as a young sort of, I guess teenager, you don't really appreciate as much what's really happening. But it's one that I definitely remember because I just I watched it so many times. Right, and I mean, like a lot of uh, Star Trek episodes, a lot of things that we've seen in the past. This is actually kind of a play on another piece of art, which is a movie called Restoration. Have you ever seen the movie Restoration? It's with Robert Downey Jr.? No, I, I haven't, no. Okay, um, it's also a, a book, um, which was, was pretty popular, and this is... It's not the exact same thing, but apparently there is... 
some connection. Um, the person who wrote this book, I guess, had obviously seen this movie and kind of wanted to incorporate it. Um, I don't think that I've seen it um, myself, um, and I definitely haven't read the book, but essentially it's a story about a medical student who kind of gets chummy with King Charles II. Um, he has kind of an immediate success, and so he becomes... I don't know. He kind of becomes like the king's go-to man. And then England at the time falls under kind of like the Black Plague, I'm assuming it is. And all of a sudden he can't keep up with it anymore. Like he's he's not really kind of the wonder child that everybody thought that he was. And it's kind of his story of, of coming to that and to realizing that. Um, so you could see some some things that are similar with this story, right? Bashir is obviously a young go-getter and then he reaches a, a problem he can't solve. Um, so I, I think that it's a, a nice way of taking a, a pretty interesting story and kind of making it Star Trekified. Yeah, it's very, yeah, that's kind of neat that it's uh, a movie set in like Victorian times or whatever period it is. But it's funny because like two podcasts ago when we did Looking for Parmok in All the Wrong Places, it was also based on, it, that was a play, right? Right, yeah, it was it was an older play. Yeah, so it's kind of cool how they take those, you know, cla- like existing pieces and sort of Star Trekify them. I like it when they do that because they always seem to have that like extra bit of oomph to them. Well, yeah, it's because you're using a known, proven commodity, right? Uh, I think that this time is maybe a little close. So this movie came out in December of 1995, and this episode came out in uh, what did I say, May of. 1996 so i almost wonder sometimes too if it's uh, i need to come up with an idea i just saw that movie it was kind of cool maybe i do something like that but i always give that a pass because i feel like they change enough of it and uh it works with the character beats in this case you know with Worf and the whole looking for parmok i thought they kind of changed the Worf character a bit too much i feel like this fits with julian's character really well and i guess we'll get into it a bit deeper as we go this was originally going to be called The Healing Touch, and then kind of in the 11th hour, they, they felt like they didn't really heal the, the, the blight. They didn't really cure it 100%, so they thought that maybe the, the Healing Touch wouldn't really make sense or it doesn't fit. So that's kind of an interesting little tidbit of background information. They're giving, giving Bashir a bit too much credit in the title, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I kind of like the quickening. It's It sounds really foreboding. Um, do you know what the quickening is in humans? Just as kind of an interesting little uh, trivia for you. No, I don't. I, I imagine as a science teacher, you, you have a good uh, explanation for us, though. I, I actually just recently <laughs> learned this, but basically the quickening uh, in humans is uh, when a woman is pregnant, there's a period of time where uh, you can start to feel the fetus moving and rolling and kicking and things, and they call that quickening. So there you go. Which kind of, it kind of ties into the episode if you think about it, because it's all about a woman who's pregnant, so... Yeah, and ultimately, the, the I'm not to spoil the ending, but I mean, I assume that you've already list, watched it if you're listening. Uh, the, the you know the, the 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 child ends up being the the sort of the the cure, I guess. Yeah, true. So I, I like that. Um, I think that it's uh, it's yeah, like just those nice little kind of things. I don't know whether they're done on purpose or not, but if they are, it's it's appreciated. Uh, another thing that was done on purpose, but I don't really get. So maybe you can clue me in here uh the names trevian and ikoria are anagrams of the words veteran and rookie and this was listed in memory alpha and a couple other places that i had seen which i mean is interesting but i don't really see the connection it's not as if 
he's like a war veteran or something or that she's like a rookie on the on the on the force or something like i don't see why that's such an interesting little tidbit do you see anything that i'm not getting i mean using the word veteran for trevian i mean i guess because he'd been around for so long and was one of the older people like maybe that but that kind of makes sense but using the word rookie to create a name for the Ikoria character. I don't really get no, that. If, I mean, if somebody listening knows something more than we do or they maybe are looking at it a different way, uh, send it in because I'm not getting, yeah, rookie and Ikoria. It just doesn't really make sense. Like, I guess she's a new mother, so that's she's a rookie at doing that, but that doesn't make sense either. So uh, the last little piece is something that I know that you always appreciate. We saw this back when we did In the Cards, I believe, um, and that, of course, is... Uh, Bashir's teddy bear, Kukalaka. And of course, we may have talked about the story at this point as well, but the person who came up with that whole storyline beat, it was, he thought it was his friend's cat, uh, or his friend's teddy bear, maybe. And then it turned out that it was actually like an ex girlfriend's cat or something. Um, did you read this story when you were doing your research, Matt? I did sort of come across it. Uh, yeah, I think it was, it was something like that, um, where. The guy, um, yeah, it was like he thought it was one thing and it ended up being something different. And it was, yeah, like you said, it was like an ex-girlfriend's like cat or teddy bear. And so it was like, oh, OK, I accidentally like conjured up some horrible memories. <laughs> uh, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, it's probably a little too early for but I know you are a fan of Kukalaka, right? Like uh, if you ever get a kitten or a cat or something, uh, would that maybe be in the running for a potential name? I don't know if I'd go that far. I just thought it was kind of like and we get the story like Bashir's story about this bear in the episode, which I thought was kind of cool and I forgot about. True. But yeah, I, I I think it's kind of funny that like this grown man still has his you know his teddy bear called Kukalaka. Yeah, I kind of like that the story here makes it make a little bit more sense, and maybe we'll just kind of leave that hanging as a little foreshadowing, so that uh, people can catch us on the other side of it when we jump into the plot. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to give everything away right at the beginning. All right, Matt, I have somewhat showed my hand here. Uh, I think that it's fair to say that this is an episode that I like, but uh, I am very excited to jump into it. I mean, I guess before we get into the whole quickening thing and Bashir and all that juicy stuff that's going to come along with it, we get this very disconnected yet very funny and fitting uh, teaser, let's call it. And this, of course, is Quark has doctored the station and all of the inner workings uh to promote quark's bar he certainly does <laughs> <laughs> now you said you have a funny story to go along with that so why don't you start with uh with your story and then we'll talk about whether we like this or not yeah it, it's not really a big lengthy story but so i we had i had this on a vhs tape and as you know i had a, a friend growing up who was also really into star trek and we watched this episode and he just loved the 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 jingle Come to Quarks, Quarks is cut fun, come right now, don't walk, run! And th I bet if I ran into, I haven't seen this guy in years, uh, in person, but I'll bet you if I mentioned that, he would he would just recite the, the, the jingle and we would just laugh, because that's, from the time that we watched this episode until I, we were probably 20, he would just, at random intervals, just bust out, come to Quarks, Quarks is fun, 
And like it just as soon as I saw like the first scene, like as soon as the the we got the fade in, I remembered, oh oh man, this is the <laughs> the, the come to Quarks teaser. Uh, this is going to be great. Like I totally forgot that it was a part of this episode. Um, so when I saw it come on, I was like, it brought back some some goofy memories of you know that jingle. <laughs> it is funny that they start with the comic relief. I don't think that this is an episode that has a lot of comedy bits. No. <laughs> but what are your thoughts on starting with this little laugh and then putting it aside and saying, okay, let's get down to business? It's interesting. And we kind of saw this in the last episode too, actually, because we had that kind of funny light uh, teaser where, where Janeway, you know, was sort of teasing Tuvok about his birthday. Right. I, I think it's, I think it does work sometimes when you have a really heavy episode like this. Uh, to to just start it off with a nice you know fun moment to get you kind of started, um, I, I think it, it works. I think generally it works okay when you have a really sort of heavy episode like this. Yeah, I mean you're not going to complain about it because uh, it's so small, right? I think that if they had flashed back in the middle of the the tension to do this, it wouldn't work. Uh, what are your thoughts on it looking a little bit dated? And I mean. Another thing I'm interested in is advertising in this century. This has been in a couple of Deep Space Nine episodes, but I guess we're led to believe that at this point in time, there isn't really advertising. It is frowned upon. It's looked at uh, like kind of as a lesser form of art or something. Uh, and I mean, definitely not in people's quarters, definitely not in the promenade, definitely not using these tactics but i mean if you think about how advertising is now i mean i wonder if the writers of the show would almost feel sick to think that like this was a joke in 1996 and now this is like very much a real thing well it doesn't surprise me that quark would try to do that or that he would be able to successfully do that um yeah advertising in the 24th century is kind of a weird thing to think about because it's supposed to be like a post-scarcity society so i mean why would they need to advertise when you can just walk to the replicator and right get what you want or get what you need um so yeah that's kind of a tricky one to sort of wrap your head around but i i mean this is just meant purely for laughs and i thought it was hilarious you're right that the graphics and the like spinning name thing like it was kind of you know 90s cgi um, but but it, it got the job done. I also really enjoyed the stinger at the end when Major Kira said, if you don't get rid of it, I will come to Quark's. Oh, and trust me, I will have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's pure Major Kira, right? And Worf yeah. walks in and he's just like, you! And, you know, he he, <laughs> he doesn't even really... He doesn't say much because, you know, that's Worf. And, yeah, he was just furious because he somehow managed to goof around with the Defiant computer as well. It was it was a great start. I love it, it. it. Yeah, it really was. And it definitely does not set the tone, right? Like, this is one of those rare, rare situations where this is just a little laugh at the beginning. But then Kira and Dax and Bashir are in the runabout. They're going off to do a biological survey. And they get, you know, the the... the, the proverbial distress signal they go to the planet they beam down it's completely desolate it's uh, completely ravaged it looks like uh, it looks beautiful actually uh the the map paintings as well as the uh, set pieces and the people the costumes i thought that it looked really good 
and then cut to credits. So uh, what were your thoughts on the second half of the teaser just being so different and just really a knee-jerk reaction to what we had kind of started with? Was that filmed like on a stage? Because if it was, like that was in like incredible that they were able to do that on a stage. Like it just, it didn't seem like it was in a confined area it seemed very open and it's like you say the the look of it was incredible like it just looked like this place that had just been absolutely ravaged like the it had these the it had the town with kind of like those spire things but the spires were all kind of like partly broken down and it looked like parts of it like rusted or decayed it was it looked really cool like you could tell just by looking at it like these these this planet is like screwed like something terrible has happened here so basically That first shot that you see when they they beam down is definitely a matte painting. I'm almost 100% sure of it just because of the way that it looks. But uh, the rest of it was filmed in a place called the Santa Susana Field Laboratory in Ventura County, Southern California. And essentially, it's where they tested all the uh, rocket shuttles. And so because it had burned and scorched the earth so badly, that's why it has that really unique, weird-looking surface. Like, I thought it was a desert, but I think it's literally scorched earth. And then they threw a bunch of junk around, put some guys in costumes, and there you go. That is uh, how they did it. And, I mean, it looks amazing. Yeah, you're right. Now that you mention it, I do remember reading that. Yeah, it was on, like, a it was like a test ground for, yeah, like you said, like rockets and missiles or whatever. It was crazy. It was good. Yeah, uh, and I mean, it fits with what we find out. Nearly straight away, we learned that this is a society that essentially rebutted the Dominion and uh, as a punishment or uh, as an example, they have basically been destroyed by the Dominion, by the Jem'Hadar, but they've been left to live on with this horrible illness and... You know, it's definitely, this is definitely showing the Dominion as their nastiest, I would say, right? To, to, to wipe out a whole society, a whole planet, but then also to leave them alive just long enough to give them this horrible disease where you don't know when you're going to, when you're going to get it and it is 100% fatal. I mean, this is some nasty stuff. This is early on too. Um, I don't, this is definitely before the Dominion War. We're still just hearing words and, and little whispers about them. Um, and this is, this is nasty. This is some nasty stuff. From what we learn later on, this is not something that's terribly surprising. I think they mentioned that they were made an example of, right? So they get this disease, which, you know, like you say, it keeps them alive so that other, other people who don't want to fall in line, they can say, look what we did to these people. You know, they've got this disease that's terminal. It's, there's no cure. It's been genetically engineered and they have no idea when they're going to die. Like that is, that is the definition of like horrible, awful disease. And um, so I think it made a lot of sense, especially considering what we learned after the fact about the Dominion and just how horrible that they were. Uh, so I, I thought it was pretty, pretty neat uh, way to kind of uh, set up how this awful disease came to these people. Yeah, and, and so the other thing is, is that this disease is so painful when it gets into the advanced stages that they have set up this hospice style, 
uh, I don't I don't even know what to explain it as. It's almost kind of like when you start to quicken, you go, you see this guy Trevian, and he basically gives you a couple of great nights of of fine drinking and eating, and you you know you're with friends and family, and it's it's kind of just a a way to die. And everybody that we come in contact with, everybody that we hear, has already these pre-planned out death ideas, right? And it's it's a very interesting thing because, you know, you would have to get to a pretty desperate place uh, before this would become the norm on the planet. And there's definitely some headbutting between the super overconfident Bashir who thinks that he's just going to stroll in and cure this versus the people who have been living with this for so long that, I mean, I don't want to say that they've given up, but they've definitely accepted that this is basically just the way that it is now. Yeah, he's going to cure it in a week. <laughs> <laughs> right these people have been these people have been dealing with this horrible disease for like i don't i don't know if they mention in the in the show whether it's like centuries or or whatever but you're just gonna fix it in one week which is so typical of of you know julian right i mean this is i mean it's season four so he has grown up a little but he still you know had that cockiness and that arrogance that like yeah i can i can i can cure it in a week no problem but i would also say that in how many Next Generation and original series episodes and Deep Space Nine and Voyager and just shows in general, does a plague or a disease come into contact or get introduced and then it's cured by the time the episode ends? Like that happens a lot. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Julian is pretty, pretty smart, pretty bright. Right. I'm sure that if we went and dug through, we could probably even find episodes of Deep Space Nine where that exact thing happens. So it's not that it's unwarranted. Uh, it's just that the way that he sees it is slightly different. And it's an interesting kind of thought. He's very angry that people are uh, basically committing suicide and that there's somebody here who's helping it. But does that not kind of break the prime directive? Is it not their prerogative to choose the way that they live their lives and the way that they decide to basically end them as they reach this point where it's just would be too painful? It's It's essentially the put it out of their misery but at a human level, right? Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the Prime Directive. I never really thought of that. You know, is that is he breaking it by helping them? I don't know. Like, like there's also the sort of Hippocratic Oath that goes along with that. So, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of interesting that they never really got into that. Because, I mean, he is pretty much... Like, he is interfering in the development of this society. Uh, although, I, I don't know. Maybe there's, like, some obscure, like like uh provision a footnote in, yeah. the, in the in the prime directive that allows you to to jump in if like it, you know this horrible engineered virus is what's killing them like maybe under like subsection five paragraph three i don't know could be <laughs> uh i would feel like yeah at what point would this become integrated into their society because we have seen this on rtr this is obviously very similar to the voyager episode emanations where it was their culture to basically end people's lives when they had reached a point where they weren't really contributing, giving much to society, contributing. Uh, it's very giver-like, but uh, I don't know. It's 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 two different sides of the same coin, and I feel like I like this one a lot better than I did like Emanations. Well, this one I think. It does make a little bit more sense because we know they know the disease is terminal and they know that 
you know, one, what was it? If they, if their marks turned blue, that's when they were about to go, or was it red? I can't, I think I got them. They were blue and they turned red. When right. Okay. okay. So, so they know that, okay, your, your lesions turn red, like you're done. You got a couple of days or whatever. They know that it's right. definitive. So it, it's a little bit more easy to accept here because they know they're going to die regardless so why not die in comfort? Why not die knowing, you know, going into this, to Trevian's, whatever you want to call it, and enjoying the last few days of your life versus emanations where it's like, wasn't there a guy like he like broke his leg or something? And they're like, oh, you're, you're not gonna be able to work anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, get, get in the yeah, cough, get in the sarcophagus and away you go. So I, I think right. it's easier to accept here because they know definitively that this is the end and this is what this is where their life ends versus emanations where it's like, okay, you broke your leg. Well, but you're still alive. You can, you know, you're, you're, there's, that's not really a good reason to just put someone out of their misery because they broke their leg. It also seems like any of the, I think that Bashir is giving them cortisol and all these different things. It seems like in the later stages of the quickening, it doesn't do anything. So that adds another layer to it. You know, it's kind of like morphine when, when with us in, in regular life, right? You can numb the pain, you could stop the pain, you could do a lot of different things. But in this, it seems like almost nothing has any effect on stopping the pain. Like once it starts, it's there's nothing that can stop it. You either fight through it and die anyway, or you just commit suicide, which is essentially what this Trevian guy is, is offering. Uh, he's going to help you with that process. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, like I said, once your lesions turn red, like you're done for. It's only a matter of time. So why not die? You know, with with at least some level of comfort. Right, kind of on your own terms. So when they leave, um, or sorry, when Dax and Bashir are on the planet, and he's like, "Oh, I can cure this in a week," and Kira's like, "Okay, I'll just go hide in this nebula." for a week what the hell is kira doing on a runabout for a whole week in a nebula <laughs> yeah well that, that was because there was jem hadar ships in the area or something right so she was gonna go hide in the nebula to kind of write herself off um you know what it's probably like she's probably got like a whole pad full of books that she wanted to catch up on <laughs> you know maybe uh she's got internet she could uh <laughs> You know, do whatever. That's probably like, uh, you know, training 101 is how to uh, how to keep yourself entertained for one week's time. And I mean, with all the lockdowns that we've been going through, I feel like we've all had kind of a lesson in how to entertain ourselves uh, while under lockdown. Uh, being on a runabout, that would probably be a little bit extreme, though. Yeah, it's a lot of uh, solitaire and like Bajoran uh, music to listen to for a whole week. <laughs> <laughs> Bajoran free cell. <laughs> the the imagery of this uh, entire episode it's amazing, but in like a horrific kind of way. Anytime they're outside, they're like pushing dead bodies down the street, and they've got the covers over them. Uh, anytime they're inside, either at the hospice or whether they're at Bashir's spot, there's people that are in the background, sick or dead, covered over. Uh, it's really well done, uh, and I mean, it really hammers home that this just could happen at any point, and people are really like they're they're living, but they're not really living, right? It's just. They, they, they're they going through the motions, I guess, would be kind of the best 
thing to say. It's not really like they're living their best lives and, you know, they it could happen any day, so they're going to be out doing this and that. Not only is this horrible disease happened, but also the society is ruined as well. So they did a great job here, really establishing that this is a, a bad scenario all around. I would use the word grim. Grim is the right. The whole episode is, is just very grim, you know. And we, we mentioned the initial sort of scene where they first see the little, I don't even want to call it a town. It's just, you know, a couple of old buildings and a bunch of people just sort of mulling around. But the whole thing is like grim. Like you mentioned, there's like dead bodies everywhere. I thought the way they did the buildings and the, the sets were really good because it looked like they were just kind of like thrown together with like leftover pieces from other things that right. are broken and fallen apart uh it just the whole environment was very door grim is what i would use to sum it up yeah and I, I think the other really interesting thing is that amongst all of this grimness this horrible life that these people live the thing that they lack the most is hope so when he goes out and he's looking for volunteers, he's, he's willing to offer help. He wants to try to figure this out. He's got advanced medicine. He's immediately met with resistance. Now, uh, can you think of any like examples in real world where people resist, you know, the advice of medical people and uh, medical help? <laughs> um, I can't I couldn't think of any myself. Well, yeah, there's a certain segment of the population that thinks they know better, better than medical experts. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't want to get too much into it because that's not a this is a Star Trek podcast. But no, uh, but you know what I mean. The thing is, is that Star Trek has always had a pulse on people, on society, on the way that people act. And when we get this scene where he's going out and he's trying to get people to volunteer, he's trying to help and people are resisting it, even though, like you said, it's grim. Things are horrible. Things are going not going to get any better. Things are just awful from every respect. And yet they're still resisting it. And it's, it's I don't know, it's fascinating to me. Like I said, we said this is very timely. You know, we're amidst a pandemic ourselves. So, I mean, it hits close to home when we see this kind of thing. But it's true. There are people that resist help. There are people that don't listen. And uh, I just think that, man, like Star Trek, you know, you, you keep hearing, you keep reading with all the Discovery stuff. They're like, you know, people need Star Trek. It's uh, it's important. People really, you know, gravitate towards it when, when times are tough. And then I see stuff like this and I'm like, yeah, you know what? It is true. These could be like really important lessons that could teach kids or could teach people about this kind of stuff in a unique interesting science fiction kind of way yeah the one i, I that bald guy he was like what are you doing here just get in your sh like he, i think he he literally said to them like you might as well just get in your ship and leave like what are you even doing here why are you even trying like he just he had and it, it was partly resistance but i think it was partly just the lack of hope Right, right, 100%. And I, I think that that character, which uh, he's the other named person, I, I, Ephraim, Ephraim uh, he basically is the person who has the change of heart. Uh, he changes his mind. He comes in and he literally says, I canceled my death for you, which I thought was a great line. <laughs> Very badass. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty funny. And, I mean, he really ends up getting the worst of the worst. Uh, so, I mean, he, he is literally like a lab rat, a guinea pig, whatever you want to call it. He trusts Bashir, he puts his faith in, and it, it couldn't have backfired any worse than it did. 
Um, so I think that's kind of it's it's a hard one to tackle, but I think it's fascinating. Uh, Bashir, since season one, has always wanted these big, elaborate challenges. That's the reason why he could he went there, right? Um, he went to Deep Space Nine because it was the frontier of medicine, and he wanted the big challenge. And he even says in this episode that you know he is he sees himself as somebody who chases off death. He has this arrogance, this bravado, this this yeah confidence that he can do it uh and so he comes up with a vaccine and it it literally goes horribly what are your thoughts on this as a like defining moment in bashir's arc well uh like this whole episode is very much bashir kind of wrestling with his ego right because he he wants to you know he has the confidence to say i can do this i can cure this disease i i can i can do it and he really believed that at the beginning and throughout the episode he's he's really dealing with the failure of being able like his initial vaccine it totally doesn't work um there was that scene where you know all the people in the the tent or whatever you want to call it they're all like getting worse by the minute oh my god that's horrifying that was yeah and they figured out that it was like the energy from their instruments like just the mere fact that they had a tricorder going was what was causing the acceleration of the virus. Well, yeah, and I mean, I think the other thing that uh, we see here too is that this is maybe the only time that we we see the the crack in the armor of the person who is coming up with a cure or trying to, to come up with the, the solution here. So uh, Trevian happens to pop by during this vaccine gone awry and basically one of the the women that doesn't die straight away calls him over he's got like the pocket full of pills that uh, he gives her um and and bashir at that point to me anyway it almost seemed as if he had conceded in a way like he was almost accepting that trevian's ways were better and that this was just uncurable. There's even a point when he's talking to Jadzia where he literally just says, yeah, the Dominion made sure there's just no way to solve it. Um, it is an uncurable uh, disease and it almost seems like he's going to bail. Did you did you have that feeling or do you think that he was in it, he was going to stick around? It was just a moment of frustration. Um, I feel like he may have, yeah. Like he really seemed defeated. Uh, he really felt, it really seemed like he was just like, I can't do, you know, he came to the, to, to realize that like I can't do this like this is this is beyond me this is more than I can I can handle and that was a really kind of odd scene for Bashir you know to see the the brash confident doctor who really think who, who seems to think that like yeah I can't do this like this is beyond me it was very it was very different so it leads to two of the best lines in the episode and maybe one of the best lines in recent memory for me it's it's hard to really compare because there's so many good ones but there's a scene where Bashir is standing in that little makeshift laboratory that he has and all the dead bodies are laying on the floor with the with the blankets over top of them uh, and he, he he basically says these people believed in me and like look where it got got them uh, and it's maybe not the best line but it's very powerful with all the imagery that goes along with it all the bodies laying out and especially after like i said that scene where they're dying and writhing around is absolutely horrifying it seemed almost as if the 
quickening or the blight marks were actually worse during that particular scene. At least it seemed like it to me. Like the people looked really red and blistery almost. Um, so I, I really liked that line. But then I like this Jadzia line even more. Um, it's probably going to end up being my favorite line of, of the episode, but I don't mind spoiling it. She basically says, it's more arrogant to think that there isn't a cure just because you couldn't find it. Yeah, that's a great line. Like that is, uh, you know, that that is just like uh, the way that it's delivered. Everything is is so per- better delivered than I just did. But <laughs> the way that she delivers it is just, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's really hard hitting because yeah, Bashir's kind of talking about how you know it's just impossible to to cure it, and you know he was too arrogant, and she spats back or hits back with, "It's more arrogant to think that it just doesn't exist because you couldn't do it, right?" Um, and I, yeah, it's amazing. That's a, such a good line. What are your thoughts just kind of at this point in the episode? Because this is really kind of the turning point. The end, it it goes back to at least being somewhat successful. But like at this point in it, is is this a little too grim for your Star Trek? Is this a little too dark? This is Deep Space Nine, man. They're not supposed to find the cure right away. They're not supposed to be able, you know, they're not supposed to find it without struggling and having to face their own defeat and all that stuff. Like this is, uh, this is Deep Space Nine, uh, vintage Deep Space Nine, as, as they would say. I have no, you know, I have no problem with it at all. You know, it was, uh, I thought it was very well done and, and very much uh, what you, I would have expected from a, a Deep Space Nine episode. Yeah, and I mean, to finish off, this is not your classic Star Trek ending. A very, not not at all, really. Uh, Bashir decides to stay behind. He gets special permissions from Major Kira. Uh, he stays behind, and it, he essentially is just trying to get to a point where he can induce labor in Ikoria so that he can deliver the baby. But yeah, because they knew that she her lesions, I think, had turned red, and they were like, oh, crap, you're running out of time, yeah. Right, and it's just a matter of like fighting through it, essentially. And from her perspective, she really just wants to get to a point where she can just see the baby, and then you know she she knows that she's going to die, and it leads to just another heartbreaking scene. And and like I said, it's it's a, a bittersweet moment where. You know, they deliver the baby in, you know, very sitcom style, like push, 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 and out comes the baby. It reminded me of that episode Disaster where Keiko has their, their, yes. their baby and Worf is, you know, coaxing her along in a rather hilarious manner. Yes, exactly. It was like that, but a little bit. This It wasn't funny this time. Right. Uh, especially since, like, the baby gets born, doesn't have any of the marks, Bashir is, like, visually exuberant and then Ikoria only really just holds the baby for one second and then she dies um it was almost like they just couldn't let us have that moment where we were going to be like oh and everything worked out great like everybody on the planet is still going to die uh they're all going to get the quickening but at least the future generations are going to be vaccinated against it and uh yeah it's now do you think that they they maybe kind of tried to pluck at the heartstrings a little too much here did they overplay their hand or is this just perfect it was a very surprise ending like in that the baby was born without the the marks um that was very surprising like i was not like i i i mean i knew how the episode ended but it still was like oh i I don't think i would have expected that ending um and yeah that was a really tough one where uh 
Corey is, you know, has that basically just that one moment and, and that's it. And then she, she dies. It was, that was kind of a, it, it was kind of like, there's the moment of triumph because the baby's cured. And then it's immediately followed by like this really sad, uh, you know, low moment. So yeah, that was, that was like that last scene where she, she gives birth. It was really, that was a bit of a roller coaster ride. Yeah, and I think that Alexander Siddick played it pretty much perfect. He 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 doesn't like start bawling or anything, but he just seems so exhausted and so defeated that it, it's almost like another shot at the confidence, another shot at the ego, and he literally just kind of collapses on the two of them. So yeah, I can't really say enough good things here. Like it's just so beautifully done, tells such a great story. Uh, I think that. I couldn't really want anything better than what we got. I mean, Bashir goes back to the station. It's not really like a true Star Trekian ending, but Trevian is going to start inoculating pregnant women and going to kind of keep working on the the research that Bashir was doing. And Bashir goes back with the power of the station's computers and, and all the help he's going to continue to look right maybe he can come up with something that will uh kind of cure the people that are already sick well it was a nice ending in that it gave them hope right it gave these people hope that you know maybe this current generation you know we're still screwed but at least our our children will be able to carry on and they won't have to deal with this this horrible disease and I thought it was kind of a very Bashir thing to do to go back to the station and like immediately go to his office and be like, okay, how can I cure the the people that are still there and still infected, you know? And, um, you know, Cisco makes his like token appearance because yes. he's contractually obligated to appear. <laughs> and he just sort of wanders down to the office and was just like, good job, Julian. Slap on the back and walks out. And yeah, and then that... That's it. Cut to... And I like, too, that we don't see him go back to the station and it's like, oh, Eureka, here's the cure. He's just running the trials and it's just left kind of ambiguous that, you know what, maybe there just isn't one, but uh, he's going to keep working on it regardless. Well, and I think it was also nice that there wasn't, like, this big fanfare. Like, even though he did cure it, he didn't he didn't really cure it for everyone. And so I didn't like that... The, I, I like that they sort of didn't, didn't go a, a big, like, sort of grandiose kind of ending where everyone's just like great job julian you know you really help these people right it was just sort of that kind of more subdued one-on-one cisco walks in kind of thing agreed and i mean just amazing all around all right matt let's talk about the casting characters we mentioned kind of the two main characters but i wanted to dive a little deeper if you are ever so keen uh the first is trevian now he is meant to be the villain slash the the foil to bashir and then by the end we're supposed to i guess come around on him i didn't feel as if he was really like the villain that they were making him seem like. Uh, with the exception of one little line, which I'll mention, but... The conflict between him and Bashir, it didn't really seem that intense. Does that make sense? Like, it felt like they should be more combative. Um, that's what I would say. Uh, I, I, I didn't think he was a particularly great villain. 
do you think that he should have been taking like a sick pleasure in the killing of people? You know, like should he be like slightly more evil? Like he was taking, or maybe he should have been like another species, so he wasn't really he didn't really have the same stakes as everybody else, like something like that. Or do you think that it's just meant to be the opposite of Bashir? It might have played a little better if he had had some sort of. Like, as you say, he was a different species and therefore he wasn't infected and there. So he was in, wasn't in any danger or anything like that. That might have made it a little bit more. It might, it might have been a bit better that way. But I just found like he was, he didn't really, there wasn't really a very, there wasn't a lot of abrasiveness between them. So there was one line and it's, it's a drop line that I think they were trying to make him seem a certain way, but it didn't really fit with the rest of it. There's a line where he talks about how other people have come and offered false hope. And he says, they're, they basically says, you know, that they screwed them and they end up having to do corporal punishment on them. And he says, their deaths make the blight look like a blessing. Do you remember that line? Yes. Yeah, I do. It, that's a weird line, like the idea that they were like an, they were kind of aggressive against people who came to pro- with all these promises and they failed. I think that's a little bit more of the villainous kind of approach that they were going for, but I just don't really feel like it fits with the rest. The rest of it just makes it seem like a guy who is desperate to to kind of help people go through this process you know kind of thing yeah it's interesting this is a this actor is really great he's actually a canadian guy so we probably should like him okay i am gonna interrupt just for a moment where have i seen him before that was bugging me like basically the entire episode i was like where have i seen this guy and i mean i looked at his his filmography and i didn't really recognize anything so i don't know maybe you know where i've seen this guy the thing is is that this guy is in everything So he is one of those actors that has just been in so many things that it's really hard to kind of like pin down. I did the same thing that you did where I basically went and looked at uh, the old Wikipedia filmography. But I mean, it's just a massive list of movies and TV and things. And I really had a hard time picking out like a Seinfeld or Friends or, or, or something. A lot of times he didn't really play like a major character. He always played, you know, kind of the person in the back or the 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 whatever, like the murder she wrote villain or something. But yeah, I went through and there was nothing that like you or I would have grown up watching, I don't think. I think he just has a really recognizable face. Like he just has something about him that is uh, yeah, really me- his his most famous role is um, with Jane Fonda in the episode or the movie They Shoot Horses, don't they? Which I've never even heard of. So, uh, yeah, what a weird. I, I did the same thing, man. So I'm I'm right with you, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's on like one of our Canadian heritage moments or something, <laughs> and uh, we just never but never knew. One of those heritage moments that we've each seen, probably seen a thousand times. <laughs> yeah, Laura Secord stealing the plans or whatever. Or discover, or, or what was the name of the doctor that discovered insulin? That was one, wasn't it? Oh, Banting and Best. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was a Canadian guy as well. <laughs> he was Banting. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Switching gears a little bit, Acoria, so she's the pregnant lady who, I mean, she kind of plays nurse, she plays mother, she plays all these kind of little tiny things. Just a regular run-of-the-mill Star Trek 
character in my opinion but did, did you think it was like overly amazing or anything i think the noteworthy thing about akoria was that she was like the one person that was actually willing to hear out bashir and actually was willing to help him all these people are just like no we're done we're toast we have no chance go on your way she was like the one person that was willing to say i'm you know maybe you can help us and i'm gonna i'm gonna help you you know i'm gonna let you take blood samples and and scan me with a tricorder and see if you can figure out what what the heck is wrong with us and i thought that that was sort of key to the episode obviously because if they were all you know all very against him helping them then he would probably just have to go back to the station with his tail between his legs and be like well i wanted to help but no one was willing to listen to me uh, on the production side of things, there's not a ton of things here, but this is actually one of the episodes where they used After Effects to get the blight. So the actors would have had just like the dots or the little cotton balls on their faces while they were acting, and then it was put in afterwards. Did you notice any dodgy CGI, or do you think that it is, it would look pretty good? No, nothing stood out for me as far as effects go uh, with regard to the the blight. I thought it all looked pretty pretty good pretty nasty pretty awful uh definitely not a disease that i would care to uh contract yeah no definitely i i thought that it looked great i didn't i would never have guessed that that was done digitally it looked like it was makeup and usually they do do makeup but in this instance i thought it looked really good i was quite surprised to read that actually to be honest yeah, no, me too. I thought it seemed a little bit early for this particular thing, but um, apparently not. This is kind of early days. The other thing that I was wondering if you noticed, because I definitely didn't, but uh, you know when Worf comes out with the cup with Quark's head on it? Yep. So that is actually just a piece of merchandise that they sold during season one uh as uh promotional stuff for the for the show um and it's actually the reason why cork doesn't really look the same he has rom's nose i don't know if you remember but back in season one they were still kind of figuring out the the costuming and stuff like that and so this was actually from before they released the show and it was kind of promotional stuff and so that cup is a promotional piece and Quark has the wrong nose on. He has Rom's nose. Did you notice that or no? Well, I recognized the photo from being like a promotional thing. But I mean the, the, the mug was kind of small on the screen, so it was kind of hard to look at it and be like, Oh, Quark looks kinda of off there. It was sort of like big enough to know that, yeah, okay, that's Quark. So I didn't really notice that he looked weird but i recognize the photo okay uh this is another episode with uh no jake again credit to his agent because he probably got paid for it anyway (laughs) (laughs) quark i mentioned earlier he has in the past tried to advertise things and then probably the biggest little production thing which i thought was kind of cool and i had completely forgotten about this do you remember the episode and hopefully you don't pull it in like four minutes uh inter arma arum silent legis i do remember it yep it's a deep space nine episode um and uh in the episode a tal shiar guy uh brings up the quickening did you remember that or is that a little piece of trivia for you i remembered it when i read it Uh, i did read about that and i remembered that uh i think it was uh didn't they like take the doctrine for questioning for some reason and or or maybe it was when they just sort of like met casually the guy was like asked him about it 
I don't remember exactly what the situation was. Yeah, essentially that's what it was. They brought him in for these questionings and then at one point the guy brings up the quickening and he essentially wants to potentially use it as a weapon himself. And so he asks if it could be like retrofitted to not be vaccinated against anymore. But yeah, it's just a, it's a throwaway line, but I thought that it was kind of an interesting one. Yes, the episode where we finally get our first glimpse at uh, Section 31, for for better or for worse. Yeah, no doubt. All right, uh, we'll save Section 31 talk for another day because I feel like we get enough of it with uh, Star Trek Discovery. Uh, Why don't you tell me about uh, your favorite quote, your favorite scene, uh, and your final thoughts on The Quickening. Uh, And you know what, give me a rating out of five vaccines and let's hope that we get a vaccine ourselves. Uh, very very soon yeah where's julian bashir when you need him he would have this solved in a week <laughs> yeah no doubt uh for me i i, I love the teaser th- with quark and his, his silly advertisements and the jingle uh that's brings back some fond memories of you know goofing around as a as a teenager and with this this friend of mine that was really into star trek so i was quite thrilled to uh to to go through that one again and uh, for my favorite line, I'm going to go stick with that uh, when when Kira says, uh, if all your little, little advertisements aren't purged from our systems by the time I get back from the Gamma Quadrant, I will come to Quarks. And believe me, I will have fun. <laughs> Just such a pure Kira line, especially going to Quark, because you know that she doesn't like him much. Uh, as for final thoughts, uh, this is a great episode. I, I actually was quite... Uh, surprised with uh, how much I enjoyed this Uh, you know now that I'm a little older and I kind of understand the seriousness of you know viruses and diseases and and exactly what's going on just how how much stress Bashir sort of put himself under and how much pressure he put on himself and how he kind of had to keep wrestling with himself as he was trying desperately to find a cure for these poor people and uh, I, I thought it was just really well done like I mean when you when as we've been talking about it, like I think of, you know, what what what's there not to like about this, you know? And I mean, you know, there's that silly question I ask about what Kira does on a runabout for a week. That's really the only thing. Like when I look through my notes, it's like this, everything's really great here. There's there's a good story. There's a good kind of piece of drama as a, uh, you know, a really cocky, confident doctor's trying to uh, find a cure to, for a disease that that is supposedly incurable and. Um, I, I think in the end we do kind of get a satisfying ending, but it's still kind of, it, it's still not totally happy, right? Because Bashir still like he did cure it, but he didn't fully cure it, right? And so I, I love that we sort of get, you know, he he's still kind of beaten up over it, but he did ultimately succeed. So um, um, I'm gonna give this episode, you know, this isn't one that I'm necessarily if I've got an hour to kill gonna throw on netflix but um there's really nothing to not like about it so i'm going to give this one uh four vaccines out of five it was uh it was actually really well done i quite enjoyed it i think i mentioned it before matt but my favorite line in this episode and my favorite scene for that matter is when jadzia says it's more arrogant to think that there isn't a cure just because you couldn't find one that is just an all-time great star trek line that's the kind of thing that you could uh you know print out and put on a poster I think that this is just a perfect episode of Star Trek. Like if you had to hire writers and you had to explain to them that, you know, 
Star Trek is a sci-fi interpretation of the everyday comings and goings of life on the planet, I would make them watch an episode like this and be like, this is what it is, right? Uh, it doesn't involve all the characters, you know, it probably doesn't have the big explosions or the big fight scenes or anything, but this in a nutshell, to me anyway, is what Star Trek is all about. Uh, it's it's a great little episode. It, it, it's, it's open-ended because we don't get a finale, but we, we get the whole story, which I like. I think that this is a great Bashir episode which is not always the case but we definitely see him grow in this episode and we also get uh, kind of the story about Kukalaka how when he was a kid he always wanted to be a doctor and you know the bear would get torn and and had rips and over the years he would sew him up and stuff him and that's the big reason why he, he keeps him so we learn a little bit fr from that perspective as well um i think that there's this whole thing about ego and how you know he's so cocky and arrogant and he's just gonna you know cure the the, the galaxy of all the illnesses that exist and then to run into a situation where he can't do it um is really humbling and i think that's probably the reason why early era bashir is so unlikable but then later season bashir he's a bit more matured and going through the war and everything really just makes him a much more rounded character um and yeah this this is just great like I, i'm right with you i i literally can't think of a single thing that i don't like and despite the fact that everybody's going to email in and say that i'm a deep space nine mark i got to give this one five out of five like i know it just seems like every time it comes up deep space nine i'm like gushing but like i just really like this like this is the exact kind of thing that i want to see in my star trek um yeah i absolutely love it all right matt let's keep the good times rolling and hope for another great episode and uh, matt do you have any preferences for a uh, episode for yourself to recall how about original series? We haven't had an original series episode in a little while, so let's uh that's what I'm that's what I'm aiming for, even though I am terrible at remembering original series. Alright, well I'll dig my hand deep here in the wide brimmed hat full of episodes, and I hopefully will pull one out for you animated series isn't it uh well you got the era you wanted but i don't know that uh i don't know that you're going to be happy with it the episode that i've pulled here is season one episode 10 of star trek discovery and the episode oh, is despite yourself star trek discovery season one episode 10 it's fitting we're in the midst uh, season three right now uh, and the episode is called Despite Yourself. So if you're playing along at home, write down as much as you possibly can about that particular episode. What characters are in it? What happens? Uh, where do they shoot it? Any little pieces of trivia can count. Uh, we would love to hear how you're doing. And uh, in about 25 seconds, you're going to hear what Matt thinks uh, that particular episode is about. He'll have 60 seconds to do the same. Matt, how are you feeling? Uh... Oh boy, I haven't watched this in quite a while. I mean, I I, I know a few things that I'm gonna get just knowing that it's episode ten of the first season. Yes, that could help. Uh, are you ready for me to put sixty seconds on the clock? Uh, yeah. Let's just let's just go for it. All right, the sixty seconds starts now. All right, uh, this is an episode that takes place in the mirror universe. Uh. 
This would be shortly after the Discovery has accidentally entered the Mirror Universe. And they would have... Uh, let's see. They, they probably have probably... I imagine in this episode they will discover that Lorca, their, the captain of the Discovery, is actually the Mirror version of Lorca. And he, like, secretly conspired to have the discovery end up in the mirror universe so that he could um you know continue with his nefarious plot in the mirror universe and uh we probably will also discover in this one that this is where he had like a a thing for the the mirror michael burnham and that's time yeah-ish, I want to say. I do not know, man. I have not watched season one Discovery in a long time. And I feel like after the last time that we had a Discovery episode, we had to go and, uh, you know, take a couple of weeks to, uh, like, uh, recoup because uh, it didn't go great. Um, so uh, this could be interesting. How many episodes were there in the first season? Fifteen. 15. Okay, so you're right in the right timeline. Um, I think I would have probably guessed wrong because I would have thought this was near the end, but I think that's not uh, not the case. Um, I guess we better go fire up the old CBS All Access or Crave or wherever you're watching this thing and watch a little Star Trek Discovery Season 1. It'd be interesting, actually, because we're in Season 3 now, so it'd be interesting to see the difference. And in two weeks' time... Everybody can come back and hear what we thought. It's true, yep. Uh, I guess we're back into Discovery again. So, yeah, uh, we'll have to rewind a little bit and uh, check it out. And we will see everybody in two weeks' time for Star Trek Discovery Season 1, Despite Yourself. So long, folks. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer. List other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for Open Channel, a Star Trek community podcast. But I just want, I wish that more straight, cis, white guys said things like that and realized things like that. And I, please continue to, to try and show them the way. <laughs> I try. And of course, I have responsibility too. I am, I am cisgender, and I am white, you know. Even though I'm, I'm a homo. So, uh, I think that's great, Nick. I think we should just wrap the show now and end on that note. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Loading Hollow Sweet Preview Program for the Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. Before that timepiece stopped working. Mm -hmm, that really because ugly, he saw it in the shop window. That really ugly timepiece. When I first watched it, I thought, okay, yes, this is a clock that maybe somebody puts on their desk or mm -hmm. on a wall somewhere. But later we see somebody pull the same thing out of their pocket. Do they not have watches? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's like one of those like huge clunky mobile phones that all they ever did was like call people. It's like, nope, this is just a big clock for my pocket. It's something that Flavor Flav should be wearing around his neck. It's that big and obnoxious. Is that a clock in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> oh, no, no, it's it's just a clock. It's most definitely a clock. <laughs>
Loading Holosuite Preview Program for What the Future Holds, a Star Trek Discovery Podcast. Look at previous Star Trek series where they appealed to the male gaze. Mm -hmm. You had Seven of Nine. You had those episodes of Enterprise. Yeah, to Paul when they're in their little decompression chamber or whatever. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. when they're in their Yeah, let's objectify the male a little bit every now and Yeah, equal (laughs) rights. It's nice to change it up. See, if you're going to (laughs) objectify a woman, then you've got to objectify a man to balance it out. Because then it's not... It's about time. No kidding. (laughs) Computer, deactivate Holosuite.